Well, this past week, of course, we celebrated in our, our country uh, Thanksgiving. For most of us, it was a time of turkey and ham and whatever else that you uh, enjoy. It was a time of friends, a time of family. Maybe it's a time of praising the Lord for all that he's done uh, around your table. And it's also a time for football. Anyone watch the football games? And uh, Mike, he actually played in a turkey bowl and totally like thrashed his knee. And so I was teasing Danielle this morning, Florendo. I was like, did you kick him? You know, that kind of thing and just joke with him. But uh, poor guy, what a, what a brutal way to uh, spend your Thanksgiving in the ER. And so you'd be praying for him. He was playing left-footed this morning. So he's a man of, uh, of many talents. And I kind of joked, I said, we've got other piano players, but uh, he wanted to play. And uh, so hopefully you had a good time. Across our country, uh, there were parades that were held. There were, uh, of course, you had Black Friday shopping. And I now have a teenager that can drive and that wants to do that kind of stuff. And so, you know, as a parent, you know what I did? You're going to have to have one of your friends come pick you up because I'm not taking you at four o'clock, five o'clock. I think it was five o'clock you got picked up and uh, did that, that shopping thing. And maybe you did that. And uh, I'm thankful that many of the stores have started to uh, no longer open on Thanksgiving. There was kind of a trend with that and uh, maybe some still open. But uh, the Christmas decorations, they seem to be going up earlier and earlier, right? Just kind of almost want to bypass uh, the whole uh, time of Thanksgiving. But Thanksgiving Day should not only be the only day of giving thanks. And uh, this past Sunday night, uh, we, we sang the song, The Goodness of God. And uh, we've been singing that. And it's kind of it's uh, one of those songs that's so beautiful. And it's got one of those lines that once again touched me heavily on Sunday night when we were singing it. It's the line, your goodness is running after me. And I thought about that all week long. And I started studying on uh, Monday, uh, Monday morning, just kind of uh, about this, just this thought of the goodness of God. And I asked myself this question. I even asked my family this question come Tuesday. How does God's goodness run after me? How, does, how, how is his goodness coming after me? And I want you to just kind of follow along with me. We don't necessarily have a specific text this morning like we normally do, uh, but listen to the psalmist in Psalm 107. Oh, give thanks unto the Lord, for he is good, for his mercy endureth forever. First Chronicles 16, 34, the exact same words. Oh, give thanks unto the Lord, for he is good, for his mercy endures forever. Psalm 145, the Lord is good to all, and his tender mercies are over all his works. Psalm 34, verse number eight, O taste and see, what? That the Lord is good. O taste and see that the Lord is good. So this morning, let's kind of, let's begin with the definition of you know, of, of the goodness of God. And it's not as easy as it may appear to try to define it. The theologians tell us that, uh, that God's goodness is his benevolence to his creation. Or they've put it another way, his kindness exhibited toward all that he has made. And so that seems, is there ringing out there? I'm going to go with Mike's phone or Mike's We're still, is that, is that better? No ringing? Oh, hallelujah. Okay, that'll be better for me too. 
All right, so the theologians, they say God's benevolence to his creation or his kindness is exhibited to all that he has made. And that seems, that, 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 those are great uh, definitions of it. And I don't necessarily want to improve upon those because uh, they are indeed um, excellent. But I just want to, I want to define it a different way for us here this morning. God's goodness, hear me, is the answer to the question, is this a friendly universe? And the answer to that is yes. When we come to the end of our thinking, our ability to kind of examine what's going on, we find that behind the vastness of this universe is a God who cares deeply. His kindnesses are deep towards those that He has made. He's not indifferent as the Stoics would say. As Stoicism would say that no, he's, just, he's just indifferent. He's not, he's not undecided as the dualism would say. He certainly is not absent as the, as the atheist would say. But he is fully involved for the good of the universe because he himself is a good God. And in studying this, I'll be honest with you, I've, I, I was so encouraged this week over this topic about the vast amount of material that shows the very goodness of God. Yes, we are several days after Thanksgiving, but I, I just, I felt the Lord just leading in this path because sometimes we just, we, we, we just look right over it. Well, well, Thanksgiving is good. We'll give our gratitude and we'll be thankful for it. But then it will just go completely away from that. And I, and, I, I, and I don't want to do that. God's goodness, it's a broad subject that occupies a huge portion of the Old and New Testament. In preparing a sermon like this, I really had two choices of directions. I could have provided a survey of the entire doctrine, or I could focus just one part and hope that it points toward the whole. I've chosen rather to cover God's goodness, uh, to not cover God's goodness systematically, um, I would rather like to focus our thinking a bit. We just sang this song, it was beautiful, and we often sing this song, and whether it's the, it's the newer version of it or the, uh, or the older version that would be in a, uh, in, a, in a hymn book, but God is so good to me, right? We just sang that. God is so good to me. And that is absolutely true, that God is so good to us. But if we only think about it in reference to us, that limits our understanding, that limits our ability and thinking of who God is. We know that from God's point of view, the human race is divided into two broad categories. Now, society would love us to, to just divide all over the place. But in God's economy, there's really only two distinctions when it comes to mankind. And that is lost, still in your sin, have never accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior, and we are eternally on our way to damnation, a place called hell for all of eternity. So there's, so there's lost, and then God would distinguish the others as saved or as born again, or the Holy Spirit of God came inside and we are born again. We've been forgiven of our sin. We are now in a relationship with God the Father again through His Son, Jesus Christ. So there is lost 
and there is saved. Everybody on earth at any moment is in one of those two categories. Either you are lost and you are estranged from God because of your sin, or you are saved, you are born again, you are a Christian, and you, because your sins have been forgiven through the blood of Christ. Since those are the two overarching categories of humanity, I would like to investigate how the goodness of God is displayed in both of those categories. And I pray that you will leave here this morning far more encouraged than you were maybe even when you walked in. No matter what your week was like, but that you could see the goodness of God spanning these two categories. The category of loss apart from God, separated from Him in their sin, and then those that have been reconciled to the Father through the blood of Jesus Christ and the forgiveness of that sin. I found this subject so fascinating. And so let's start off with God's goodness toward the unsaved. God's goodness. Now let's begin with a quick, simple observation from Romans chapter number 2, verse 4. Or despisest thou the riches of His goodness and forbearance and longsuffering, not knowing that the goodness of God, the, the kindness of God, leads thee, leadeth thee to repentance. And so this statement here in chapter 2, verse number 4, it comes right after the Apostle Paul has completely leveled this damning in, in, indictment of the entire human race. You can begin reading that in Romans 1, verse number 18, and it continues on down through the rest of the chapter, even into the beginning portion of chapter number 2. To those pious religious types who proclaim their innocence, Paul reminds them that they're just as bad as the heathen. And they too, they are without excuse. God always, hear me, punishes sinners, but sometimes the judgment is delayed so that men will have time to repent. Thus, every breath that's taken by the unsaved, every breath taken by someone that has not put their faith and trust in God's substitute, Jesus Christ, if we've not done that, every single breath of a person that is unsaved is a sign of God's goodness. It's meant to lead him step by step to repentance and faith. And so in this spirit, I want to survey several specific ways that God is good to the unsaved. Now, over the course of this message, I have 17 points. So we're going to be here till New Year's. Are you excited about that? Yikes. Every point's really quick. Everyone said? Okay, good. I was, I was getting nervous that you really wanted long, 17 long points. Let me give you the first one here. By creating them knowing that they would rebel. Knowing they would rebel. Seven times in Genesis 1, God surveys his creation and he calls it good. And on the last time, he said it is very good. You can read that in Genesis 1.31. Yet God knew what man was going to do. God knew that they were going to turn away from him. Shortly, the peace and the joy of paradise was broken by Adam's foolish choice of sin. And paradise gained soon became paradise lost. God knew what Eve would do. God knew what Adam would do. He knew all of the pain that would result from their individual choices to sin. God foresaw, God, God knew the long stream of suffering that was going to flow out from Eden. 
yet seeing it all, knowing it all, he still created. He still created. I wonder what you would do. I wonder if you knew that your creation was going to rebel against you, that your, uh, that, 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 that your creation was ultimately going to murder your own son. I wonder if you would have created. I wonder if you would have just decided, you know what, you know, let's just scrap this whole thing. Let, let's just, this whole idea is not good. We're, we're just not going to do that. Yet God still created. He created a race knowing that it was going to plunge headlong into disaster. Grace, goodness, kindness of God that he would, knowing we were going to rebel, still create. Let me give you another one. By sustaining them in spite of their continued rebellion. So fast forward now. God has given through Moses on the Mount Sinai his Ten Commandments. He's separated his people here. He's trying to get them to, to live a certain way. You come to Exodus 32 uh, and this, the people are just completely uh, just gone away from God. They've literally made molten calves and they're worshiping uh, uh, just idols and they've gone away from God. And so Moses breaks the tablets for the Ten Commandments. And so now God is giving the Ten Commandments again. And in Exodus 34, verse 6, And the Lord passed by, passed before him, speaking of Moses, and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord God, merciful and gracious, long-suffering and abundant in goodness and truth. God would have been completely justified just to, after Adam and Eve to have sinned, to just literally have wiped them out. No one would have blamed him. No one would have blamed God for just simply, you know what? Hey, let's just abort this idea. It's not working. Let's start over again, maybe with a, a, you know, a, a, a different you know, um, you know, man and woman, and let's just start this whole thing over. But instead, he continued to show goodness to generation after generation, even when men continued to turn away from him. Jesus spoke in Luke 6, but love your enemies. <laughs> And do good and lend, hoping for nothing again, nothing in return. And your reward shall be great, and you shall be the children of the highest. Notice how he's described, for he is kind unto the unthankful and to the evil. Let's just be honest. Most of us have, a tr have trouble at times of being kind to people that are also kind. Let alone to people that hate us. And yet God is kind. God is good. His goodness is extended to even those that hate Him, despise Him, by pouring out common grace upon them. Still creates us. He sustains us even though we're wandering away. And then He gives all of us common grace Common grace is a theological term that refers to the, to the general blessings that God gives men, regardless of their spiritual state. Many blessings come down from God without discrimination. Matthew chapter number 5, we'll get there in, in the new year when we start back up the Sermon on the Mount, uh, that, that Jesus literally says, it rains on the just and the unjust. The sun rises on the just and the unjust. Basically what Jesus is saying, the two categories, those that are saved and those that are not, no matter what, it still falls. The rain still comes down. The earth still flies through space. The seasons change. The rivers flow. The fields give their, 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 uh, their, their produce, all for the general benefit of the human race. How many of you enjoyed food this week? Raise your hand. I know it feels like kindergarten. 
Do you realize that the fact that you can taste food is a common grace from God? I mean, God literally could have just made it all taste the same. And those of you that have COVID and you lost that taste, you know what that is like. And hopefully you're gaining some of that back, right? But just the kindness of God, the goodness of God to allow you to enjoy that meal that you had. And we had several around our table and it was such a delightful time. And, you know, those that wanted the cranberry sauce, that's okay. You know, your taste buds are a little bit different than mine, but God created us with those taste buds. The kindness of God. It is a common grace. You don't get to enjoy things just because you are a believer. No, this is God's goodness given out to all mankind. And for our, speci- for our specific topic tonight, or this morning, is to the lost and to the saved. And so this is a common grace. Let me give you a fourth one. By putting a desire for God inside every human heart. By putting that desire in every single person that's on this earth, a desire to know him. Ecclesiastes 3.11 says, He hath made everything beautiful in his time. Also, he hath set the world in their heart. Romans 1, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who hold the truth in righteousness. Literally, they're suppressing that truth. They're, they're, They're holding it down because that which may be known of God is manifest in them. For God has showed it unto them. For the invisible things of him from the creation of the world are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead. So they are without excuse. And then you come into chapter 2. I mean, he, he continues to level the playing field here down, down through this chapter. But then you come into chapter number 2, and it talks about this forbearing and this goodness of God being on display. These texts describe the the knowledge of God seen in creation and found in the heart of every single man. See, when Paul preached to Athens, he complimented the Athenians by calling them very religious people. In fact, the city was filled with all kinds of idols, which one of the shrines said to the unknown God. And so secular anthropologists have always described mankind as incurably religious. There's something in each person that that drives them to seek ultimate meaning outside of themselves. This is what, what even secular anthropologists would say. They say that they turn to God or they might worship idols or make even their own idols or evil spirits of their ancestors or whatever the case. But they'll say something inside of them was put there by God. That something to to want, to need explanation, answers. The French philosopher Pascal called it a God-shaped vacuum. Augustine gave us this prayer, you have made us for yourself and our hearts are restless until they find their rest in you. And so God's goodness to even the unsaved, which all of us were until salvation. And maybe you're still here and you don't know if Christ is your Savior. Listen well today. That God's goodness was that He put in every single human being, in their heart, a desire for Him. He created the heavens all around us that speak of His goodness, that speak of His very own Godhead, the text says. Let me give you a fifth one. By hearing the prayers of the saved for the lost. 
This is the goodness of God towards that lost person. Here we find an aspect of God's goodness that a lost person doesn't really realize, uh, probably does not really appreciate it until they maybe learn about it. Uh, But God is good to the unsaved by allowing saved individuals, by believers, to pray for them. Paul said, brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they might be saved. And God hears those prayers. How many of us are on our way to heaven in part because someone prayed for us? Maybe it was a faithful mom that prayed for us, or a father, or a spouse, or a brother, or sister, or a cousin, or a friend, or a coworker, or a pastor. They're praying for you that you would trust Christ as your Savior, and now you're seated here, and you know that, that, that heaven is your destination when you take your last breath. I guarantee you someone was praying for you. And God the Father heard those prayers and worked in your life. Let me give you another one. By allowing them to share in his blessings to his own children. At this point, I'm thinking of Joseph, right? Who, after being sold to the Midianites, was later sold to Potiphar, who was the chief kind of security officer for Pharaoh. And because God's hand was on Joseph, he rose in power. He became the administrator of Potiphar's house. And you read in Genesis 39 that God blessed Potiphar's house because of Joseph. And so God's goodness to this lost and dying world is that he uses you to bless them. Or he blesses them sometimes because of you. What what an amazing truth. You can read all about it in Genesis. If this In this, we see that unsaved receiving blessings simply from the presence of a saved person in their midst. God allows the lost to share vicariously in the blessings he gives to his own children. Can I encourage you, Christian, to live open-handedly with your life? To live open-handedly with your blessing that God has given you? And he wants that not only to be poured out on other believers, but he wants it to be poured out upon the lost. He wants it to be poured out on your neighbors if they don't know Christ as their Savior, on your friends at work and your coworkers, all of that. He wants the goodness because of your, because of your standing in Christ to overflow to those that are in your life. Let me give you a few more. By using them to accomplish his purposes. You can see this throughout the Bible. You can see this throughout even history. For sake of time, let's keep moving. Number eight, by inviting them to salvation and making provision through Jesus' death. Invites and then makes the provision through Christ's death. Ezekiel 18, Have I any pleasure at all that the wicked should die, saith the Lord God, and not that they should return from his ways and live? He doesn't want any of that to happen. 1 Timothy 2.4, who will have all men to be saved and to come unto the knowledge? 2 Peter 3.9, the Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering to usward, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. No one will ever be able to stand before God someday and say, you loved so-and-so and you didn't love me. No one's going to be able to say that. God demonstrates his goodness toward the lost in sending Jesus Christ to be the sufficient payment 
for the sins of the entire human race. Jesus truly died for all men, and it's on that basis that God invites them to salvation, the goodness of God to even the lost. When you're looking, God, how is, your, how is your goodness running after me? Will you see it how he runs after the lost? But now, let's begin to think about God's goodness toward the saved. How is he good towards you? How is he good towards me? Well, let me say this. Number one, by giving us eternal life the moment we believe. I want you to ponder that for a moment. I was kind of just chewing on it. This is a remarkable fact. Eternal life begins for the believer the moment that he believes in Jesus. Jesus said, Verily, verily, I say unto you, he that believeth on me hath everlasting life. 1 John 5, 12 says, He that hath the Son hath life. He that hath not the Son of God hath not life. So eternal life, it is not just heaven, though absolutely it is, but it's not just that. It is also the experience of God's life while we are still here on earth. See, God could have kind of made us wait until the moment, death, to the, to the moment of death to see whether we were going to be faithful or not. I'm glad he didn't decide that. Because we're not perfectly faithful, are we? I'm thankful that Christ was. I'm thankful that he, he measured up on our behalf. But when we trusted Christ, we are given that eternal life. We're given that life inside of us right now. If you were to go to Colossians chapter number 3, it talks about how our life is hid in Christ. Our life right now, as we're living, it's hid in Christ. I believe it's Colossians 3.3. I don't have that up there. But our life is hid in Christ. And so Christ is eternal. So we have that experience right now. What a gift of goodness to us. Let me give you a second one. By giving us immediate access to Him through prayer. Immediate. Probably most Christians have heard about Hebrews 4.16, which speaks of us coming boldly unto the throne of grace to where we can receive help uh, in time of need. It's the image, it's imagery of this great monarch opening his court to any of all and any and all the citizens of his realm. Instead of access being just given to select few, it's anybody that is, uh, that is a part of the family, so to speak, can come directly into his presence. Now suppose this afternoon I tried to call the White House to talk to President Biden. And let's say I called there and I said, uh, I'd like to talk to uh, President Biden, please. And they'd say, well, you know, who, who is this? And I'd say, this is Ryan Johnson. And uh, I know the president. And they would say, no, the president doesn't know you. And you would say, well, wait, wait, wait a minute. I'm a, I'm, I'm, I'm a citizen of this country. So listen, I know who the president is, as we all do. But guess what? President Biden, he doesn't know who Ryan Johnson is. However, if Hunter Biden were to call and he were to ask, may I speak to the President of the United States, he would get in. He would get through. He'd be able to go, if the President was in the Oval Office, he'd be able to go in to the Oval Office. Why? Because the President's his father and he has immediate access. Listen to me, we are like the President's son. Through Jesus Christ, we have been brought into God's family. We can go right in, hear me, to the Oval Office of the universe. 
not just the U.S., and you can talk directly to the Father. Tell me that isn't the goodness of God all over you. That no matter what you're going through, you have direct access to the Father, to the very throne room of God through Jesus Christ. Goodness running after me. I'll give you another one. By giving ultimate purpose to the worst tragedies of life. God gives us purpose in that. And it's his goodness. Can I show that to you? Romans 8, 28. And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose. Now, this is an easy verse to believe when the sun is shining, right? <laughs> it's great, easy to believe, but it's something else entirely in the darkest of human tragedy. Now, I believe we doubt this verse for two different reasons. First, Paul says we know when most of us do not feel like we know when we're going through it. And then Paul also says all things, where most of us would rather it say in some things. But Paul says, for we know and in all things. Surely the key word here is good. Because for us, good usually means happiness, usually means health, prosperity, usually it means good fortune. Those things are indeed good, but God's good far exceeds our limited vision. Verse 29 tells us that God's goodness and good for us is that we would be conformed, that we'd be transformed, that our lives would begin to look more like Jesus Christ. So anything that makes you, anything that makes me as a believer look more like Jesus Christ is good. That's what Paul defines it as. That we're conformed transformed, made in the, like our life is looking and acting and talking in a sense like Jesus Christ. This gives us an entirely new perspective when it comes to heartaches, when it comes to tragedies. They're part of God's plan to chip away little by little at our character until Jesus is fully formed in us. Now, I do not propose that this answers every question or that it turns sorrow into joy Yay, I'm suffering. That's not what I'm proposing. But it does reassure us that something good is happening, even in the worst of situations. Even when you are struggling, even when you are having to go through the fire, you can look at it and say, God, you have something good in this. Let me give you a fourth one. By disciplining us when we begin to stray into sin. Yeah, I said that was the goodness of God displayed for you when you are disciplined by the Lord when you're running after sin instead of running after Him. There's really two parts to this truth. You've got first Hebrews uh, chapter number 12 reminds us that, that the Lord chastens those that are His, those that, those that belong to Him, those that He loves. God disciplines us precisely because we're His children. After all, I don't discipline your children. And you don't discipline mine. We only discipline our own children. Why? Because I have what's best, their, their best interest in mind. I, I care for them. I want them to grow up and be mature adults. The same is true with God. But secondly, God forgives us when we cry out to him. 
Psalm 86, For thou, Lord, art good and ready to forgive and plenteous in mercy unto all them that call upon thee. We were having a discussion about this on Thanksgiving, I believe. Sometime this week, I can't remember. But one of the reasons why I like for my children to come and ask for forgiveness from their father is not because I'm on some power trip. Not at all. My kids actually know this, but they actually kind of stand in a forgiven state with me. I just, like, you're forget. I, I love you no matter what. No matter what you say, no matter what you do, I forgive you. I am your dad. I love you. You want to know why I like for them to come and ask for forgiveness? So they can be reminded of that. Who you say I am. Thank you for having us sing that song, Mike. I want my children to be reminded of your, their love, that they're loved and they're accepted. And so the Father, He disciplines us because He loves us. He's trying to draw us back. Hey, you're my child. This is not how my child acts. It's grace. It's goodness. Do we like it? No, we don't. But after God restores us, it's amazing how thankful we are when He does it. And I can attest to my children, I don't mean to embarrass them, but once that relationship is restored, it's beautiful. It's beautiful. Let's go on to the next one. By uniting us with Christ in his resurrection life. There are many, many verses that teach this. This is a vital truth that we have this resurrection power that is in us. Uh, John 15, verse 5, I am the vine, you are the branches. He that abideth in me and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit. For without me, you can do nothing. Well, I'm thankful that we have him. Uh, Paul says, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me in the life which I now live in the flesh. I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. 2 Corinthians 5.17, Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. All things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. So to be a Christian means to be joined with Jesus himself which means that you have his resurrection power inside of him. This is the goodness of God. This allows you to advance in this world. See, God could have saved you and then just plucked you right out. But he left us here. Why? He's got a purpose for us. But that purpose is infused with power and it's resurrection power. It's Christ's very own life in me to live through me. The goodness of God is on display. And so we shouldn't just be saying things like when it comes to the sanctification process, well, this is just the way I am. No. You have the power to change. You have the power to, 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 to pr uh, pr preach to that neighbor that, that needs Jesus Christ as their Savior. You have the ability in Christ and in His power in you to do what He is asking you to do. Alright, let, let's move on here. We're doing okay? Alright. Number six, I told you I've got 17, so we only have a few more. I'll go, I'll go over these next ones quick. By giving us the Holy Spirit and the Word of God so that we have everything we need to live righteously in this world. I want you to look at that one again. What a gift. By giving us the Holy Spirit and the Word of God so that we have everything that we need to live righteously in this world. Can I show this to you? 2 Peter 1.3, according as his divine power hath given unto us all things that pertain unto life and godliness. 
through the knowledge of him that called us to glory and virtue. So listen to me. We have a source. Look at that verse again. We have a source. And the source is divine power. So we have a source. And we have a channel that that power comes through and it's the knowledge of Him. So, 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 so it's, this, it's this knowledge. The knowledge of Him. But most of all, li- listen to the promise. All things. Or can I put it in, in another way? Everything we need. And what is the purpose of that? So that you would live life in a godly fashion. You've got it all in Christ. You have it all. You say, Ryan, I don't, I don't quite think I have everything. Then you need to grow in your knowledge of Him. Because you have it all. You have every single thing that you need to live this life in a godly way. Everything. Tell me that's not the goodness of God. I often will say this at Redwood, the pursuit is over. You're not still trying to find what you need. No, no, no. If you've got Christ, you have what you need. My question is, is do you have Christ? Do you know Him as your Savior? Which, which side of this are you on? Do you know Him as your Savior? God's commands, are, they're not grievous, the Word tells us. He never asks us for what He does not also supply us with. So it is, it is able. If we sin... We can only ever blame ourselves. Let me, give you, let me just go over quickly here. Number seven, by giving us whatever we need so that we can be content whatever our circumstances are. That is like Philippians to the core, but Philippians 4 in general. We've been given everything that we need so that we can be content no matter what our circumstances are. Let me give you number eight real quick here. By giving us a reason to rejoice when the world turns against us. I know I'm hastening here. When the world turns against you, when the world turns against me, he's given us everything that we need to continue to be able to rejoice and no matter what happens. Let me give you finally, by giving good hope for the future so that we have nothing to fear at the moment of death. That eternal life that you were given at the very beginning of salvation comes into complete fruition at the end. You have the complete hope in those moments of death. So what does all this mean, my friend? Everything about God is good. God's goodness is the sum total of all of His attributes. To say it another way, there is nothing about God that is not good. Hear me, His wrath is good. His mercy is good. His justice is good. His holiness is good. His love is good. Everything that God does is good. There's nothing but goodness when it comes to your king. Nothing. Since God is good, he always has our best interests at heart. Now that must be true because of his goodness, but it's time we start to believe it. We've got to believe it. Because God is good, nothing happens to us that is not for our ultimate good. Now, in saying that, I do not downplay the pain of tragedy or the sorrow of unexpected loss. 
I too know what it's like to be at a graveside and say farewell to someone that I love. I too know what it's like to literally weep over someone's death. I know what it's like to pray and to pray and it seems like it goes unanswered. Sometimes you're praying for healing. Sometimes you're praying for that life to remain and yet you see it just gone. I know what that's like. How does the goodness of God square up with pain that we all experience? The answer moves along these lines. When God says no, He does it because He loves us. What God forbids is for our own good just as much as what He grants us in a yes. I don't mean to suggest that we will always see the good in the midst of our pain. Generally, we won't. Generally, that's not going to be ever exposed to us this side of heaven. I'm simply saying that because God is there, He is in the midst working out that which is for our ultimate good and for His ultimate glory. We see this by faith. We believe this by faith. Job said, but He knoweth the way that I take. When He hath tried me, I shall come forth as gold. How wonderful to know that God knows. He knows the way that I take. Often, we don't know. Often, we can't tell where we've come from and we don't know necessarily where we're going. Even the next step for us in our lives, sometimes it's a mystery, but God knows. He knows where you're at in this very moment. He sees the path in darkness like as if it's the full shining of the day. That's how God sees it. Let this thought comfort you, but He knows the way that I take. And when He tried me, I shall come forth as gold. One final comment. Truth always demands response. So what are we going to do with the goodness of God? I've tried to show it to you in like two different planes. The goodness of God towards the lost in many different facets, and the goodness of God towards the believer, to the saved, in many different facets. So what are we going to do with that truth? If you're saved, then guess what? I just gave you many, many opportunities to give thanks to Him for His goodness. I realize we're a couple days away from Thanksgiving. Why should it end? And then to the lost, I don't know your heart, taste and see that the Lord is indeed good. Thank Him. If you're a born-again believer, thank Him for all that you have in your salvation. The goodness of the fact that you're saved. Oh, by the way, you also can take every one of those for the lost too because you once were there. So I literally gave you 17 ways that you can be thankful. And then if you're not, taste and see that the Lord is good. Every head bowed, every eye closed. Father, I thank you for this.